I will be reading Exodus from Exodus chapter 16, 18, 18, 10-18. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked to the, toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost were on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It was the bread the Lord had given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to take and gather as much as he needs, and... Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Second Corinthians 8, 7-15 But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in all love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet For your sake he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. We're going to take a little time today and look at one of the amazing aspects of the economy of God. I think economics are increasingly fascinating the older I get. I was pretty bored with all of that uh, as a teenager, young adult. Um, Reluctantly realized in my 20s that one day I would need to retire and needed to start putting a little bit away, and I'm glad that I did. In my 30s, became a little more interested in money and finance, especially as I was trying to purchase and pay for homes and uh, raise a child and those kinds of things. And now in my mid-40s, looking ahead, money is increasingly 
interesting, and economies and all of that uh, ever more fascinating. But the economy of God is a remarkable thing because God is what we would call a source. And he's not just a source, he's the source. And he's not just the source, he's a boundless source. And I want to emphasize that today as we look at the texts and try to faithfully understand them in today's context. Turn to Exodus 16. I'm going to spend some time this morning in this story because it's an important one. I'm going to start in verse 1. Our reading started considerably later. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, let's pause there. You need to sort of picture the geography here. Egypt, on its sort of northern tip there at the Sinai, starts to border the southern territories of where we would find Israel, and the wraparound of Jordan. The desert in question would have been close between that that high point in what is now Egypt and, and Cairo. And I can assure you, having been to that part of the world, it is not a lush and lovely place. We're talking about summer heat that would tip the 130 degree bracket. I think when I was in that part of the world in 1992 in August, it was 122 degrees. And I have uh, little memory except for it felt like the hair was being burned right off my legs. When you are in that kind of place, night and winter, if you're high enough up, can also be very cold. Interestingly enough, just like the Mojave here can be blistering hot in the summer and even at night still be very cool. Now, those deserts are not quite at the altitude of the Mojave, so I don't want to compare them, but you get the picture. Now, where Israel had primarily been had been Goshen when they owned land. Remember, they were given the best of the lands around the Nile Delta by Joseph and the Pharaoh at that time. And then, archaeologists aren't sure, but probably with the arrival of the Hyksos, this is the pharaoh that knew Joseph not, they were enslaved and spread throughout the land. And of course their numbers increased dramatically. We're six weeks, excuse me, into the journey into the desert. Six weeks. So not very far out for this many people to move. And already their memory has faded. Do your memories fade? I know mine does, frequently. It is incredible to think 
that they would say to Moses and Aaron, we sat around by the flesh pots and had everything we could eat. Does that strike you as phenomenal? It does me. The world had just experienced a seven-year drought. No, I'm confusing my time periods. The, The world had just fallen apart. Egypt would be in terrible trouble because what had happened to them six weeks earlier? Their workers had left. What else had happened? The plagues had come. Their firstborn had died. Their cattle, firstborn of their cattle had died. The Nile had been blood. There had been pestilences. There had been locusts. Egypt was in very bad shape. Egypt desperately needed its slave population to rebuild, which is why Pharaoh came chasing after them. They've watched the Red Sea parted. They've been through this experience and they're on their way. And six weeks in, they've forgotten the works of the Lord. And I think that's typical, don't you? What is the prayer we just don't quite have the courage to pray but think all the time? I'm sorry, I'm going to put it on a rather low level. Lord, I love you, but what have you done for me lately? Isn't that... You know, I can never tell whether I'm just a lot more evil than all of you are. (laughs) And a lot more twisted and just a lot more ungracious and ungrateful and forgetful and all of that, or whether you just don't know what I'm talking about or whether you're as reluctant to confess as I, I am, uh, I don't know. What, 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 what might it be? I'm not going to conclude. That's the prayer. Lord, I love you and you've done great things for this and for that, but what have you done for me lately? Yeah, that Red Sea thing was nice. We're glad to be alive, but now you're starving us to death? And the memory goes, we had it good in Egypt. We had all we wanted to eat. We could sit around. A, they never sat around. B, they didn't have all they could eat. And if they had a flesh pot, it was probably really watered down and the worst of the meat available. There's nothing like beef knuckle stew. Oxtail soup. You think they were eating filet? Guess again. And in the midst of this complaining, and it's not serious complaining, the desert's an inhospitable place. We would moan too. Verse 4, the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So among other things... This phenomenal passage on God's provision is also about Sabbath and obedience. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that the Lord you you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. 
who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up Adventist and vegetarian, and all I heard about was the manna part. Somehow, our children's Bible story books and Uncle Arthur and whatever else, somehow I never got that meat in the evening thing. That was just, just manna. And of, being of Germanic descent, I liked bread quite well, but it didn't strike me as a balanced diet even as a child. This is what the Lord commanded. Each is to gather as much as he needs, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omar, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And that was a miracle of the Lord. We have two things going on that are miraculous. Have you caught them? The first is that God provides. Manna is on the ground and quail are going to fly through the camp in the evening. Meat and, and bread. Some cultures it's meat and rice. Some cultures it's meat and potatoes, but it's the same thing by any other token, right? You have a starch, you have a protein. God is providing. And if you gather too much, what happens to it? It becomes just right. And if you gather too little, what happens to it? It becomes just right because it is all the gift of God. There's a multiplication that Christ will replicate on the Sea of Galilee as he breaks loaves and fish and feeds a multitude. Verse 19, Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. (laughs) Oh, people are people everywhere, aren't they? (laughs) And if you've ever been to a camp meeting... You know that if something stink next, stinks next door, it stinks to you too. And when you're camped all close like that, uh, smelly food with maggots is not a welcome thing. And it's a sanitary problem. Because you're in the desert and where are you going to get the water to wash out all these pots with stinking bread and maggots? So Moses is not pleased. I wouldn't be either if I were Moses. In fact, I love it. It says Moses was angry with them. Such a person he was. Amazing person. And angry here in this moment. Verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed and when the sun grew hot it melted away. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much 
two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be not, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come. So they can see the bread I give you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer, by the way, is a tenth of an ephah, for those of you who didn't know what that was. Helpful to me as well. We have this Sabbath rest that God invites us to, and this provision that covers even that rest. And it becomes about two things in Exodus. It comes to obedience and loyalty, and it comes down to an acceptance of the provision of God. And I'm struck because every day but the seventh, this provision is made, and on the sixth, twice as much can be gathered, and it won't spoil. It keeps, even in the desert. And this uh, little... uh, Omer that is kept in a jar ends up, of course, where? In the Ark of the Covenant, along with the staff that blossomed and the Ten Commandments of God, second edition. Right? My supposition this morning is a simple one. And that is that there's still manna on the ground. The one who created all and made all and sustains all continues to send manna every morning. And a special blessing to us on Sabbath. The manna on the ground is God's provision in your life. The meat in the evening is God's provision in your life. 
And at times it feels like it ebbs and flows for us. And yet I want us to focus this morning on bounty and source. For 40 years, in desert times and conditions, this multitude of people was fed. Not through hunting, not through agriculture, not through pillage. They were provided for by the grace of God, by the sustenance of God, by the one who was the bread of life and who sent the bread of heaven, by the one who would give his body that we might live and who sent meat at night that no one should be hungry. And the God of all abundance hasn't changed in this regard. There are still miracles that happen. There's still bread in the morning. There's still meat in the evening. He still provides. And he asks us simply to trust him in this and it's the hardest thing he could ask of us because we're like the Israelites conditioned two different ways one to accuse God of wanting to kill us in the desert and to pray the prayer I love you but what have you done for me lately and two we're conditioned to get tired of manna and meat aren't we Oh, wafers that taste like honey again. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> oh my. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Corinthians, because Paul does reference this there. Paul has a context for us that's maybe a little more familiar. I'm also going to begin in verse 1 here, even though we will pick up at 7 where we read. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you were hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, Your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written. He who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's the manna principle. Uh, I can get into no trouble faster than if I launched into a discourse on capitalism. Because we are mostly, I suspect, great fans of that system. And indeed, in human terms, it seems to have been the most successful. But it, like any other, is subject to excess and abuse that hurts people. And when we study the economy of God... We have it as plain as can be made. Yes, we're not all the same. To one is given one talent, another five, another ten. To the one who takes his one talent and hides it and does nothing with it, it's taken from him and given to another. To them that have much, more will be given. And to them that have little, it will be taken from them and given to the ones that have much. That would seem to support the capitalist system we have in the economy of God. And yet we have these models of manna and meat that everyone should be able to eat and that nobody should be able to gather so much as to be able to hold it over another. But that the one who gathers too much, it will become just right and the one who gathers too little will still have plenty to eat. That's the economy of God. And the economy of God is this, that in giving, we don't push the oppressed we don't push those in dire need to go without we all give according to our means that those who have nothing might have something we all give that the work might go forward we all participate according to the grace of God because he wants everybody's needs to be supplied He says, flatly, Paul does, our desire is that others might be relieved, is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. I am not advocating for an alternate political system or economic system, but I do think blind allegiance to any system is problematic. I think if we're going to be capitalists at heart, we need to bear in mind the goals of the economy of God. I think if we're going to be capitalists at heart, we need to keep a compassionate eye for selfishness, 
and complaint. Bitterness and deceit are at the heart of our rotten core. I love you, Lord, but what have you done for me lately? Yeah. I thank God, Paul says, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. And so it goes on, Titus' service to Corinth. But here, generosity has been encouraged at a level that is uniform. Not everyone pays the same, but we bless God as we've been blessed. We share as we have received. We give according to the measure that it has been given unto us. We act in terms consistent with these blessings. As we turn over to 2 Corinthians 9, the promise is very clear. That if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. That is a truth in investment strategies, isn't it? Those of you who've uh, taken a little interest in how economics works. When you put your money into something very secure and very safe in today's world, you will be lucky to get 2.15% on that money. Extremely fortunate if you were earlier able to lock in 3% or even 3.5%. But if you're willing to take risks, the S&P might dive, the Dow Jones might dive, you might lose 40% in a short period of time. But over a period of 10 years, you're likely to make more like 10% or 12%, aren't you? And so when we sow generously, we reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the part I want us to focus on. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a lot of alls in that passage. Do you think that's fairly inclusive? So that God in all things, at all times, in all, all matters, I mean, that's pretty inclusive. Comprehensive. It's his promise to you that you take that act of faith, that you sow, that you might reap, that you give as part of the economy of having received, that you store up what you need. No more, no less. That you give of an open mind and a content spirit and a generous heart. For God doesn't want to get from you what you begrudgingly let go of. He wants to receive what you're ready to joyfully return. And so in our worship, 
We've been talking, I was gone last week, but we've been talking about the sort of changes in the worship service. Our offering takes a new and a special place. And it won't always be so week to week, but it will generally and mostly be so week to week. That at the end of this time we've had together in the Word, we respond out of the generosity of God's heart for us. We respond to the goodness and the grace that He has given. We respond to His generosity in our lives. We respond to His salvation and His works. We celebrate the fact that He is still the Redeemer, still the Creator, still the Provider of all, still the One who sustains, who sends meat by night and manna by day, who provides that we might eat and cares for us all. And so at this time, I hope our deacons are prepared. We will receive your responsive gifts with gratitude. Now may the God of all abundance grace us as we leave this place with a spirit of gratitude and with a spirit of thankfulness for his provision and his grace in our lives. Amen.